passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. First base, is the position good again? I'm not so sure. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball today on Thursday, October 8th. He is Scott White. I am Frank Stanfield. How's it going, Scott? I just went to wash my face after crying at the Yankees' defeat. Oh, you, look, you look fine, Frank. Well, you, thank you don't you, look Scott. like you were crying to me, so I guess that was a good a good wash you did. That. I, I'm feeling great. I mean, I, my Braves have yet to lose a, a postseason game, four for four, and uh, looking pretty strong to advance to the to the NLCS. Knock on wood. Uh, so I feel good. I feel good. This is an unusual feeling for me, but uh, I'm hoping they wrap things up tomorrow and and continue to roll. Knock on wood is correct. Don't want to jinx yourself there, Scott, but Ian Anderson looks pretty, pretty damn good. I just took him in a very early mock draft, the ninth round of a 15-teamer. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, at some point in the offseason, but man, Ian Anderson does look pretty good. And it's a Thursday. You know what that means. We are bringing on the best guests in the industry all offseason long on our Thursday podcast, and today, to help us talk about first baseman, I thought that it was a, a match made in heaven. Because we have two Mets first basemen to talk about today in Pete Alonzo and Dominic Smith. And of course, Ariel Cohen is a huge Mets fan. You've heard and seen Ariel Cohen. You've listened to him. You've probably interacted with him on Twitter at ATCNY. Of course, known for his fantastic projection system, ATC. Uh, Fantasy Sports Writers Association Baseball Writer of the Year in 2019. He writes for Fangraphs, Rotoballer, CBS, Sportsline. He just won Tout Wars Head-to-Head Points League for this past season where I finished fifth. So, of course, Scott and Ariel are winners, and I am a loser. Nothing new there. Did I miss anything, Ariel? Because I feel like your resume is just insane. So, I hope I got everything there. Well, thank you for that introduction. I'm also the host of the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational Podcast, uh, Beat the Shift Edition. Check that out as well. Awesome. All right. So, yeah, first base. Uh, I thought it made a lot of sense to have you on here, talk about some of these. And we're not going to spend as much time, you know, looking back at this year like we did at Catcher. We're not going to look at ADP as much because uh, I really just want to focus on Scott's top 12 rankings and we'll have a little bit of debate at the top, talk about a few uh, potential sleepers later on for next season as well. But before we get to that, Ariel, something that I p- plan to ask all the guests that we have in the offseason, and I think it's uh, a little bit more interesting to ask you because you are somebody who does projections. I want to ask how much... And does mu- them well, I'll add. Yes, does Thank them you. very well. Um, I want to ask how much of... 2020's production for hitters will factor into your projections considering it was just a 60 game sample. Like how much do you actually make of this? How much will it matter for 2021 projections? Well, um, there's uh, for me, I do projections a little bit differently than most people. Uh, I sort of cheat in that uh, I rely on looking at other people's projections to guide my own. I'm a projections aggregator, sort of what, what uh, since we're in a pre- presidential uh, um campaign here. Uh, Nate Silver at 538.com, he does something very similar. He looks at a lot of other different polls um, and he grades them. He knows uh, which 
polls are, work better than others. Maybe a poll works better in Colorado and another work poll works better in Nevada and he grades them and, and he combines them and gets an average and so that he comes up with a robust set of polling for everything. And that's what I do with ATC projections. I look at a whole array of projections and I know which ones are better at home runs and I know which ones are better at stolen bases. And I take the best parts of each projection system and I weight them with all the other ones that are pretty good, the ones that are not as good, I throw out of the mix for, for that particular statistic. And uh, that's why I create the ATC projections. Um, as far as what I'm going to do, I'm going to A, wait and see what other uh, people are doing. Um, I know a couple of the good projections uh, writers uh, personally, so I'm going to ask them, talk to them to see what they're doing. And I'll probably do something very similar and weighting the better projections with with uh, for every single statistic. Um, if I was doing my own standalone projections, though, I think it matters by statistic. Some uh, some statistics stabilize very quickly. Strikeouts that stabilizes quickly. I would put a lot more weight of 2020 statistics going forward to 2021 home run rate that takes a little bit longer to stabilize. I might take that a little bit less. So I think it matters which statistic you take. Um, and the answer is going to be a big range across the board. I, I want to follow up on the strikeout point because you said that that tends to stabilize quickly. Uh, because something I've noticed is, uh, and I know I know people who do projections hate the like pulling out these individual cases, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Uh, there there are a lot of individual cases of strikeouts rate that are just crazy high, like way out of character for the player. Gary Sanchez, Josh Bell, Mitch Garver, and I'm kind of tempted. Um, just to throw those out since it was such an unusual buildup to the season. And, and it seems likely to me that's related to timing issues related to that. Like it, this epidemic of players striking out a ton. Uh, just, I, I don't see a lot of uh, evidence for that. I, I don't see a lot of precedent for that. So that that's kind of my thinking with some of those guys. I, I guess it sounds like your, your projections, if, if you were doing your own projections would uh, take a different approach to that. Yeah, I mean, uh, my response to that is, you know, uh, it's been proven that on the whole, obviously, there's going to be certain players who are going to have the outliers. But on the whole, if you look at most players after 150 or so strikeouts, it stabilizes, meaning you can determine what the, in the whole season strikeout rate is just from the first 150 or so at bats, whereas for homers the first 150 don't give you enough of a sample. Uh, it's hard to predict, predict the second half based on the first where you can do that in strikeouts. Um, but I mean, you know, in any case, if you have a ridiculous strikeout rate, it's going to bleed into the second, in a regular year, it's going to bleed into the second half and you'll still get a very elevated rate for that year. Everyone's still going to use that going forward. If, if what you're saying is true, you could make the case for any projections analyst to say, if there's any absurd cases, tone them down. Um, some good projection systems actually do that anyway. So um, I, I think they're going to take into account your thoughts anyways. Okay. Ariel, can you just remind everyone where they can find your projections? Sure. Um, you can find them on actually CBS Sports Line. Uh, I post them. Uh, they're on there 2020 here. Um, and you can also find them on at Fangraphs as well. Uh, CBS Sports Line has a couple of extra statistics and uh, they're sortable. Uh, you can actually download them. They're a Google Doc. Um, well, it doesn't really help you for 2020 now, uh, but uh, they're found right on the site there if you are a member. The last yep. one, Wilson Contreras or Salvador Perez in 2021? I've always been a Salvador Perez fan. Um, his defense, oh, there you go. His defense <laughs> keeps him on the field more. Uh, I think that Salvador Perez, because he's such a good backstop and because he's such a good hitter, he'll get more plate appearances than Contreras. If I had to, with catchers, it's it's a bigger bet as to say who I think is going to get the more plate, uh, plate appearances. And I think the answer is Salvador Perez. I think Perez is a little bit more stable. I think that he's shown a higher floor of batting average and skills. Um, Contreras, obviously, th these are two high-skilled catchers, so you know they're all roughly in the same group. But if I had to pick one, it would be Perez because I like the consistency um, and I like the, the opportunity that he might get in Kansas City. I knew I liked you, Ariel.
All right, that's it. <laughs> yes, this is our first base preview, and we haven't talked about first baseman yet, and we are 11 minutes into the podcast. So let's jump right in. Scott, your number one ranked first baseman in 2021 will be... Okay, well, I have to, I have to preface this, Frank. I can't just give you the name. All right, all right. I was prepared to have this debate between Freddie Freeman and Cody Bellinger. Let's have it. Let's do it. There's a bigger debate behind that debate. Uh-oh. <laughs> because, because, of course, eligibility comes into play here. There were only 60 games this past season, Bellinger, you know, he plays outfield more than first base now. If CBS sticks to its usual standard, and that seems to be the way the wind's blowing right now, that was not set in stone. If, if CBS sticks to its usual standard of 20 games to retain eligibility into a new season, Bellinger falls one game short of first base eligibility. Now, we can feel pretty confident he'll be first base eligible relatively soon in 2021 because it only takes five games in season to pick up eligibility at a position. Uh, but right now I don't have Cody Bellinger in my first base rankings, which makes Freddie Freeman a very easy choice for the top spot. Well, Scott, I, let I me ask you if, if Bellinger did have the eligibility, would Freeman still be first? I, I was, I was leading into that. I, <laughs> I think based on our last conversation, Frank, you talked me into putting Freddie Freeman ahead of Cody Bellinger, if so, in my you know, just general top three hundred. That's that's how that's how I think they're going to be. Freeman ahead of Bellinger. Uh, just the track record there is so consistent. And while I do think Bellinger, um, you, you know, has a has a first round profile still, and consistency counts for a lot. Look what just happened. Man, I you know I enjoy all of our podcasts, Scott, but I am really enjoying this podcast. First of all, we got a little Salvador Perez uh, endorsement from Ariel, and and then Freddie Freeman over Bellinger. So yeah, I think this will be a yeah. debate. Uh, late first rounders, early second round picks for twenty twenty one. And I posted this on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. The last one hundred and sixty two games played. I'm going to do this for basically all the players that I deep dive in the off season. I'm going to take this season and the last whatever it would be, 98 games. Am I saying that? No, 102 games from last season and just putting those together and seeing, all right, well, who was better over their last 162? Bellinger, idea. Yeah. his last 162, 255 batting average, 41 home runs, 109 runs, 97 RBI, 14 steals. Freeman, last 162, 307 batting average, 38 homers, 125 runs, 142 RBI, and seven stolen bases. I think Freddie Freeman's a safer player, and that's what I'm looking for with my early round picks. I think Bellinger probably has the higher ceiling, but I think he also has the lower floor. Ariel, up. Oh, well, I'll go, to, I'll go back to you, Scott, first. You look like you want to jump in and say something. Well, I, I was just going to say, I think that was the very argument that won me over those yep. last 162 games. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think... I think Bellinger's power ceiling is certainly higher. Speed ceiling is certainly higher. Uh, it's very possible he could finish ahead of Freeman but like there there's just nothing to worry about with Freeman and I, I don't think Freeman you I don't think you can look at Freeman's stats from 2020 and, and say he was going to sustain that over a full season you know he's probably going to go on to win the NL MVP that that batting average would have fallen down closer to 300 uh, but you know it still would have been a very good batting average and I, I think you know if, if you, you you remove that two-month element the risk of in over of, of overstating his performance in that two months of, of making too much of it by doing what you just did there and looking at the last 162 games and still comparing him and Bellinger side by side. I think Freeman comes out a little ahead. And mind you, Freeman had a terrible September last year too, because he was battling injuries. So it's not like, you know, it was all rosy for Freddie Freeman. Uh, although we know Bellinger kind of fell off in the second half of the 2019 season as well. Ariel, if you had the option who would you take, Cody Ballinger or Freddie Freeman at the first base position? I think this is a great question. By the way, Freddie Freeman overcame COVID to play in the 2020 year. Let's not, yep. uh, that's not, not a very small thing. Um, uh, you know, uh, if I may, I'm going to just give a, a little statistical argument. You know, if you're going to create ranks and who are you going to pick over who, I want to have 
people in the first couple of rounds with a higher floor rather than the higher ceiling. So on a percentile basis, I'd rather look to the 30th or so percentile for the top people. In the middle of the draft, I want to look at the 50th percentile, the average. And at the bottom, I want to get upside, right? I want to look at the 80th percentile. What could this guy possibly be? If you use that argument, and uh, your numbers are pretty good, Frank, uh, Freeman wins because Freeman is the more consistent player statistically. And although Bellinger does have a, hard, a higher upside, Bellinger could hit 40 homers. I don't think Freeman's going to top 35 or so. Um, Bellinger is the higher upside, but that's okay. I want a guy who's more guaranteed to finish as a top third rounder. And Bellinger, although he could be the number three player overall, Freeman won't be. I'd rather have Freeman to bank those stats at being, I'm going to, you're going to have to draft Freeman in the first or very early second round. Um, uh, one point I also want to make, which I, we were talking before the show, if you are doing any rankings, Obviously, it depends on your site whether Freeman, whether Bellinger is eligible or not at first base. But if you suspect that the Dodgers are going to play Bellinger at first base in the first week and he's going to gain eligibility right away, you should be doing your ranks with Bellinger at first base because effectively you're going to have that eligibility for 25 out of 26 weeks. So you might as well count them in and do your math that way. And yeah, I, I get that. I, I don't know that it would necessarily be the first week with Bellinger, but it, it would be it would be early on. Yeah. 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 Um yeah, no, I, I like what you said there about the uh targeting uh you know, going with the safer plays in the early rounds and obviously going for right. the upside late, because that's that's always been my approach too. And I, I actually had that thought the last time Frank and I were having this yep. conversation. Like I, I feel like I'm going against my own yeah, my own standard there by yeah, taking yeah. Bellinger over Freeman. And, so yeah, and I it's think funny I've come if, around. And it's funny if you have a, uh, somebody who does projections and they have ranges of, you know, what is the upside? I, I know that Pakoda um, uh, uh, um, in Baseball Prospectus, they, they do that. Really, they should be listing upside in the bottom only and floor on the top. And people should be drafting values based off of that. So I, I think that your intuition is correct and you can make a good statistical argument to do it. All right. So Freeman is 1A and Bellinger is 1B. Scott, who will be the... Number two ranked first baseman for you. Oh, you're gonna like this, Frank. I I love this podcast. This, these rankings are coming up all Frank. It's it's Jose Abreu. Now, I'm not I'm not backing off my stance on Abreu. He has a long record record of being a certain thing and was something very much more than that this year. Um, but like first base gets there's a there were a lot of first basemen that drastically underachieved in 2020, and that introduces a new risk factor to all of them. I mean, how much can we tune out the 2020? I'm I'm we're gonna have to tune it out to a certain degree for most of them. But in Abreu's case, I mean, he had this amazing 2020 best season since his rookie season back in 2014, I believe it was. Um, you know, I I don't trust that he can perform sustain that level but like what level of risk is there with the brave because if he's not that he's a guy who hits 280 with 30 to 35 home runs you know that's the downside for jose abreu so it's like that's that becomes the issue for me taking jose abreu ranking jose abreu second i don't think i'll actually be the one taking him second because i think you're you're going to pay for the ceiling he delivered on in in 2020 but in terms of ranking them I, I i have a hard time making an argument for anyone ahead of him here and something that i'll point out and, and this might confuse people a little bit so i'll just kind of break it down quickly while i was all over jose abreu and manny machado heading into the 2020 season that's because i thought that they were going later than they should have i thought that there was uh, a buying opportunity now I don't know that I will own will draft either player heading into 2021 because it looks like Manny Machado is going to be a second-round pick. It looks like Jose Abreu is going to be a third-round pick. And a lot of fantasy is value and opportunity cost. So while I really, really do like both of those players, you have to pay much more for them in 2021 than you did in 2020. So I'll just lay that out. But... Ariel, uh, Jose Abreu looks like he's going to win the American League MVP and, and was basically a different player than we've ever seen before in his age 33 season. He hit 317 with 19 home runs, 43 runs, and 60 RBI in 60 games. That is yeah. just... Um, like, yes, he's good in yeah. the RBI category every year, but that's a 162 RBI pace, which is just 
ridiculous. So, I mean, how much are you taking away from this season for Jose Abreu? Um, who is the real Jose Abreu at this point? He's going to be 34 when the next right. season starts. Well, um, Frank, I, I know that you draft for value. You mentioned it, and I know I played in a league with you, and we were competing for a lot of guys, uh, to, uh, the same guys. He, um, it's almost like I say, damn it. Why did he have to win MVP or, or, or could win MVP? Why did he have to be so good? Because for a couple of years, Jose Bray was going so late, and he was worth so much more. Now, because he is at the top, you're going to have to pay to get him. And I don't want to pay to get him anymore. The secret is out. You know, um, like it's like Marcus Semyon from last year. I used to draft him in the 12th round every year and he was awesome. Why did he have to be a second round player? Now there's no, no bargain for him. So from, from that perspective, um, I, I don't enjoy Jose Abreu anymore because I won't be having him on my team. Um, but who, who is he? He's the same guy he's been for the last couple of years. I mean, he, check, check out his home runs from 2015 uh, onward. 30, 25, 33, 22. Uh, the 22 he was injured, by the way. 33 and the 19 from this year in a short season. I mean, the guy is, uh, he's a classic 30, 300, 100 RBI player, right? 30 homers, 300 batting average, 100 RBIs. It's the gold standard. Um, he's just an amazing player. Is he a second round talent, first round talent? perennially no it's probably a fourth round talent who is going sixth round every single year and now you're gonna have to pay up for him so i think he's really easy to size up he's probably one of the best guys but no longer will be profitable uh, if you pick him yeah and in this early mock draft that i'm doing right now i'm going to keep referring to it jose abreu went 26th overall so if that is the cost yep. next year when everything kind of settles then I likely will not have any jose abreu right. so if i can get him in the fourth round sure uh, anything higher than that I'm probably right. not going to have and, any of him and, and, next season. And I believe that Scott correctly ranked him as number two. I don't see anybody who's more solid and better, um, just that it doesn't help me in, in the fantasy next year. But, yeah, in terms of ranks, he's number two. Scott, give me number three and four first baseman together. We'll kind of marry these two together since they play in the same state. <laughs> well... Three is is a lot like a Brayu in, in terms of why I'm ranking him here. It's just hard to make a case for anyone else over him, and it's Luke Voigt, who led the majors in home runs by three this past year. Uh, number four, yes, does play in the same state, the, the same city, sort of. And uh, it's the guy who led the majors in home runs last year, Pete Alonso. Um, I kind of have to break them down separately because they're different cases, obviously. But yep. Voigt... The thing about Voight is I, I don't think there should be any doubt he's good right now. Um, there may be a question of in what ways is he good because plate discipline has been kind of shifty during his two-plus years with the Yankees, a batted ball profile in terms of line drives versus fly balls. Like this year, yes, he led the majors in home runs. He, he kind of had a profile that that was dependent on home runs. When last year, it was more about getting on base getting more hits on balls in play uh, even before the, 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 um, the core muscle injury came up, like the first half of the year, the, the on-base percentage was great. The power was, you know, okay for a corner infielder. So I don't know exactly where Voigt is going to land in 2021 in terms of what he's good at, but I am confident he's good. I, it's, it's another situation where I, I, I don't think I'm going to end up paying the cost that's required of him because there's so many interesting first basemen to come here, including Pete Alonzo, who, I mean, the production was obviously worse, but the launch angle, the hard hit readings, they were really similar to that rookie season when he hit 53 home runs. And he hit 10 of his 16 home runs this past year in September. So like he was starting to pick up the pace and it's it's one of those situations where okay, if we get a third month of the season, what does that look like for Pete Alonso? Does his, do his numbers entirely correct, especially looking at that batted ball profile? Uh, I was not interested in paying up for Pete Alonso last year, but if people look at his numbers, his 2020 numbers next year and say, okay, this, this guy isn't you know, worth a pick in the first six, seven rounds, I'm probably going to have a lot of shares of Pete Alonso. Yeah, so again, in this mock draft that I'm doing, Pete Alonso went 64th overall, so in a 12-team league, that would be in the sixth round. I can get behind that. I mean, this past season, I was not drafting Pete Alonso because I thought it was a very high cost for a player that was going to give you power and really not much else. 
Um, and it's basically what he did because he finished with 16 home runs and uh, a 231 batting average. Again, that is Pete Alonzo. Luke Voigt, you mentioned all the numbers. Uh, Ariel, I'll go to you on this one. Uh, should Luke Voigt be the third-ranked first baseman? Who would you rather have between Voigt or Pete Alonzo? I would flip the ranking, Scott. Um, I, I like uh, Alonzo better than Voigt. Um, I want to point out something that probably people don't think about, but the Yankees this year, because they're in the AL East, played a very high percentage of their games in AL East ballparks, in Camden Yards, Fenway Park, at Buffalo. I don't even know what the stadium's called, but there was, that was a hitter's park. Um of course, they played half their games at, at Yankee Stadium, of course, but that, that's always going to be the case. But what I'm saying is that the park factors that they at Voigt was exposed to this year were really, really good for homers. When you go back to 162 games, you might not get the exact – you can't scale his production to 162 games because the complement the, – the composition, I should say, of uh, parks is very different. Um, his uh, Voigt's homer to fly ball rate this year was uh, 35%. His career average was 27%, which was about a quarter of his homers. So if you took a quarter of his homers away, I think that he's not really the same player. Still really, really good still in the mix, probably the fourth best, but I like Alonzo. I mean, Alonzo last year in 2019, tremendous homers, probably a little bit more than he'll ever get ever. His batting average was really, really good. Something he could do, but probably we all said that he's probably more like a 250 hitter. So look at this year. He hit homers at a 40 home run pace. If I had to guess, Pete Alonzo is pretty much what he did this year. Maybe a little bit more batting average, could be a couple more homers, but we pretty much know who he is. And Voight, he just had his career year. So you got to regress him a little bit. And when you do that, you'd have Alonzo just edging him out for the third spot. Yeah, I don't know if I'm ready to move Alonzo ahead of Voight yet, but I do agree that I likely will not draft Voight if he you know, is going fourth, fifth round. It just seems very rich. And, and I right. worry a little bit about the injuries with Voight too because he had the, the core issue in 2019 where he had surgery on that in the offseason. He's now dealing with a foot problem throughout the postseason which they've been very vague about like there's no actual diagnosis they just say that he's dealing with a foot thing so I don't know what that thing is but I saw him legging out a double the other day and he bends down to take off his shin guard and he just stands there and kind of holds his foot for a couple of more yeah. seconds so I think that this is something to pay attention to in the offseason and this is a rank that could change you know if, it, if we find out it's a bigger injury than he let on and can I throw out one thing yes um Assuming that the NL goes back to no DH next year, is it possible, possible that Alonzo loses some at bats to Dominique Smith at first base? Oh, I don't possible? want to imagine a world like this, please. <laughs> like if because right? it's a thought. I am taught no, it's it's a good point that you bring up because I am as we'll talk about in a little bit, I am head over heels for Dom Smith and I if there's no DH, I just don't see how they're going to play him every day unless he just has a corner outfield spot, and I I, I don't know not if that's going to happen. I mean, they played him a lot in the outfield. Yeah, I'm yeah, not, they did. I, I'm not. I'm not sure how much I believe that there there's not going to be a DH in the NL next year. Right. First of all, um, but beyond that, I, I I think Dominic Smith's playing time is is pretty safe. I think Pete Alonso's playing time is pretty safe. They'll all lose occasional starts if there's no DH because you know most everybody right. does these days uh particularly if you're a bad fit defensively as Smith would be in left field but right but yeah I'm I'm not super worried about that as as we'll find out I have both of these players in my top 10 at first base just throwing it out there it's just yeah. something to think about you know no it definitely so. is and and I hope that we do have the universal DH again in 2021 the last point that I'll make on Pete Alonso he uh, very oddly enough struggled against left-handed pitching this past season a 717 OPS that number was 941 in 2019 and I looked at his minor league profile he consistently hit very well against left-handed pitching. So I think that that was kind of fluky, and if that positively regresses, that should raise his overall numbers as well. Uh, I could see myself definitely being in on Pete Alonso in 2021. We're going to take a quick break. I just want to remind everybody that you can listen to us on all of your favorite podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, CastBox, and many more. And make sure to download and watch all of our great video content at CBS Sports HQ. It is free. You can download the app on your Roku, on your Xbox, 
You can watch it on your laptop, cbssports.com. You can find HQ there as well. Uh, just wanted to give everybody a reminder of that. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll round out the top 12 2021 first base ranks here on Fantasy Baseball Today. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. All right, Scott, I'm going to ask you who your number five ranked first baseman is heading into 2021 because I think he's kind of on an island by himself before we get into a few of these other names, and he is... Matt Olson. Mm. So you're saying Matt Olson's on the island, or I'm on the island with Matt Olson? Oh, no, I like Matt Olson. I just think okay. he's kind of different than a few of these other boring names we're about to get into right after him. <laughs> I think he's a left-handed Pete, Pete Alonzo, actually. And, That's pretty um, fair. You know, he ended up hitting this past year. What did he end up hitting? 195. Uh, Great. With a batted ball profile that was very similar in terms of exit velocity, in terms of launch angle, his strikeout rate was up. You know, per, the, the previous three years was consistently in that 25 to 26% range. It was 31.4. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how much this goes against what Ariel was saying earlier, but like that's that's the sort of rise in strikeout rate, especially for a guy who's pretty consistent with that, that you'd give me six months instead of two, and I think it, it probably normalizes. Um. So I, I feel like Matt Al Matt Olson is you almost married them the together. We <laughs> Matt Alonso. <laughs> I almost married. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think he's the player we thought he was coming in, and he just kind of got screwed by the sample size. Didn't get, didn't have a chance to normalize that batting average, but certainly showed the power. And I expect to have plenty of him next year. Yeah, yeah. left-handed Pete Alonso. I think that's very fair. Last one sixty-two for Matt Olson. 250 batting average, 43 home runs, 121 RBI. Last 162 for Pete Alonso, 248, 50 homers, 112 RBI. I do think the power upside is probably a little bit higher for Pete Alonso, but if I'm projecting them for a full season next year, I would probably say like 40 to 42 homers for Pete Alonso and like right around 35 for Matt Olson with a similar batting average. What do you think, Ariel? If you're in a league that penalizes strikeouts, so you know Matt Olson is not as good. But uh, in, rather than rather than dissecting him, I think you're right. He's very similar to Pete Alonso. Um, I, I just want to put that the concept of what's what I call a hot spot out here. Uh, Matt Olson, Olson, and Pete Alonso are virtually the same person. If you come thinking I need a power hitting first baseman at roughly this part in the draft, you can be prepared with Olson slash Alonso on your draft board. Not. Who cares what's the one or the other? Um, pick whoever you think is going to go later in the draft, and so that you can maximize your value. Because essentially, they're the same person. If I had to flip a coin, who's going to hit more homers next year? Maybe it's 55 45 Alonzo, uh, but in terms of value, they're really similar. Um, just go and pick whatever one's cheaper. That's really the game strategy you need to do. All right, Scott, six and seven. I'll just. Take it away. The boring old guys. Who are they? Well, I, I don't know that we really know who they are at this point. So I think it's interesting <laughs> that you call them boring. But sixth is Paul Goldschmidt, who I think people, you, you and me both, Frank, we called him a bust this upcoming year. Correct. And in, in some ways, he 
he didn't perform up to his ADP because the power production wasn't there, but the way we thought he was going to be a bust, the bat slowing down, you know, he had a terrible batting average on fastballs in 2019, like that rebounded. He actually like his, his hitting profile kind of changed to favor average. He struck out less, more line drives. And if you look at his X slug on Statcast in terms of, uh, it, where he, the kind of slugging percentage that you'd expect him to get for where and how he was hitting the ball, uh, it, it was higher than where he finished. So he, it, it seems like he kind of had bad power luck, if that's a thing. So, like, I, I'm going to call this a miss in terms of declaring him a bust, even if people who had Goldschmidt were kind of disappointed in the overall output. I'm I'm more confident drafting him next year. Uh, the way given the ways he kind of he, he appeared to reverse his decline. So yeah, I have him, I have him sixth year. I don't know. Yeah. And you have, and you have, uh, did you mention you have seven? Oh uh, yeah. Anthony Rizzo. Okay. Anthony Rizzo, who I, I, he looks like a guy who was screwed by sample size too. I'm, I'm not sure there was really a change to his profile. You know, his power had been trending down the last few years. And so I don't expect him to hit 30 home runs probably ever again. But great plate discipline guy, probably going to have a good, a pretty good batting average. If it was a points league with his plate discipline, he might rank as high as fourth here instead of seventh, where I have him, assuming five by five league. Uh, so I still think Riz is good. You're exactly right about the points league because in a points league, I could see myself drafting either one of these guys because uh, Goldschmidt, the walk rate, sixteen percent. It was his highest since 2015. Uh, he also had a career low 18% strikeout rate. It's just the power uh, was down for Goldschmidt. And overall, I looked at the last 162 for each of these guys, and it was, all right, 267 for Goldschmidt, 28 homers, 277 for Rizzo, 27 homers. You know, I, they're fine. They're like 25 to 30 homer guys with really good OBPs. They're better in that format and, and better in points leagues. They're boring, which is fine. It's just, it has to fit into your roster context. Uh, Ariel, who would you prefer between Goldschmidt and Anthony Rizzo if you had to choose? Yeah, it's really close. I prefer Rizzo slightly more than Goldschmidt. I think uh, Goldschmidt is declining a little bit faster than Rizzo. I mean, Rizzo, just before this year, um, he had 20 homers, 25 homers a year. This year, a little bit of a decline. Um, I prefer him a little bit to Goldschmidt, but we're, we're splitting hairs. Um, I, I like the fact it's funny. I, I like the fact that Goldschmidt really is reinventing himself. So you mentioned the walk rate and the strikeout rate going in the right directions. Um, he's seeing what he has to do to stay on the field and to produce well for the Cardinals. And that's what the Cardinals do really. Um, it's, it's splitting hairs, but I'll take Rizzo a notch over Goldschmidt just for the, the just for the uh, trend. All right, Scott. So at eight and nine, you have, guys that are young and fun and might have more upside than the names that we just talked about. And they are eight is Dominic Smith. The other <laughs> Met made his way into the top 10. As I mentioned, nine is what's becoming a, uh, a perennial lightning rod pick Vladimir Guerrero, who's now first base eligible and not third base eligible. This is his new position. He, he checks in ninth for me, which is more a reflection of what comes after Vladimir Guerrero than how I feel about Vladimir Guerrero. Of course, you don't want to bury Guerrero in your rankings, knowing the upside that's there. He made the sort of hard, hard contact in 2020 that would suggest he's still on track to become, become a stud at some point. And yet the ground ball situation continued to, you know, it's not going the right way. It's actually going the wrong way. That could change, you know, from one year to the next. And, you know, suddenly he, he breaks through as this uh, hitting machine who then becomes a perennial first rounder. But uh, no evidence he's on the right track as far as that goes. So that's why I rank Vladimir Guerrero as low as ninth. Dominic Smith... I mean, there's nothing I can say bad really that undermines Dominic Smith's performance in 2020. It was great. The StatCast data more or less backs it up. It's just, it was a two-month sample, and, and that's really all you have to go on. Other than that, he was at one point a big prospect. So uh, I, I can't justify ranking him ahead of those long-standing, you know, those pillars at first base even if they were coming off a bad year, because it's really just two months we're talking about with Dominic Smith. For the right price, I'll be happy to take him. And I think 
you know, if he goes eighth among this group, that's going to be the right price for me. But he may not. He may go as high as like fifth at first base, in which case I'll probably not have much of him. Dom Smith, hit it. Yeah, Dom Smith, let's go Mets. Okay, Uh, I'm excited about Dom Smith. He will be 25 years old when the 2021 season starts. He's younger than P. Alonzo. Uh, Scott, I know you mentioned that it's basically just two months that he's been good. He was he was really good in, in 2019. I looked at his last 139 games. That's 2019 and 2020 combined. 937 OPS. That That is really impressive for Dom Smith. And what I love most is that he hits lefties as a lefty. 876 OPS against lefties in 2019. 900 OPS against lefties in 2020. Uh, I'm doing this mock. I took him 91st overall. I don't know if that's too early yet. We'll find out throughout the offseason. That was two picks ahead of Anthony Rizzo. I just think that there is more upside for someone like Dom Smith. And maybe I'm just buying too much into just this small sample size. Uh, but very interested in Dom Smith. Vlad Guerrero, like he's just going to be 22 years old when next season starts. He's he's still a, a, he's a baby. He's a baby in baseball right now. But... I'm a little concerned about the batted ball data. You brought it up. He hits a lot of ground balls. And I tried to do some research and find some things. And I found an article on The Athletic written by Andrew Stoughton. I hope you said your name right. Uh, Coach Dante Bichette, one of their coaches, Dante Bichette, father of Bo Bichette, I believe, Mm -hmm. um, recently said he thinks too much has been made of Guerrero's inability to get the ball in the air. Quote, I tried to get him away from trying to lift the ball because when he lifts the ball, if you understand swing path, you've got to catch it out front on the way up, Bichette said. Now, I don't really know what that means from like a, a baseball sense, but I trust what he's saying, and it sounds like they're not putting an emphasis on this for Vlad. Again, it could still change, and I think that there's a lot of upside for both of these guys, but I'm very excited about Dom Smith. Ariel uh, talks to me about both Dom Smith and, and Vlad Guerrero. Are they too low? in these in this first uh, run of first base rankings. Well, let's take a look at Vladimir Guerrero. Uh, before I even take a look at Vladimir Guerrero, I'm going to talk about somebody else who had a ground ball rate when he started at age 21 in the majors of 63%, the next season 61%, then 62%, and he became uh, pretty much a first top two, three pick a couple years later. That, of course, was Christian Yelich. Um, you know, Vladimir Guerrero's doing ground balls now, only 22 years old. He's got time to figure this out. We know he's got 300 plus, 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 plus ability that he's shown all in the minors, and it's going to click. I, I, uh, I'm not going to guarantee it. Uh, uh, I actually, you know what? I'm going to guarantee it. He is going to click one of these years. I don't know if it's going to be this year. It could be three years from now, but he's going to be that 320 hitter who hits 30 homers and 100 RBI perennially. Um, so his upside is there, and it's much higher, much higher than Dominique Smith. Whether it's in 2021, I don't know. Um, do I want to pay for that? I don't like paying for anything that I don't really know for sure. Uh, Dominic Smith, he started when he was 22, and now he's finally figured out. It clicks. He hits righties, lefties, any situation. He can come and pinch it. He cannot pinch it, do anything. He's just unfazed. So if you're going to talk about getting expected stats, I like Dominic Smith. It's a question of where you are in the draft, and are you drafting for upside, or are you not drafting for upside? And that's your answer of who you're going to pick. Vlad Guerrero went 95th in this early mock that I'm doing, but I saw a a different draft where he went 51st. And that Mm -hmm. is, I think that is closer to where he'll end up next year than 95th. I think people will continue to chase the upside for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. because his name is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And for the reasons that Ariel laid out, like I think eventually he can get there, but until he does, you you are going to continue to pay for something that has not happened yet. And do you want to do that? One of these years, hopefully, you'll get it right. But until then, you're paying for a guy who's been a sub-800 OPS hitter through his first two major league seasons. So keep that in mind. Since you brought up the name Dante Bichette, I want to share this because it's one of my favorite (laughs) baseball stats ever. Dante Bichette, I mean, anybody who was a fan of baseball in the 90s knows Dante Bichette was a pretty big deal in the 90s for the Rockies mostly. Uh, Dante Bichette's career war, career war, not best season war. Career war was 5.7. Ooh, that doesn't seem great. No. Wow. <laughs> he was a horrible defender. Oof. <laughs> and played in a, 
<laughs> offensive heavy era. So I think by like it was a big deal in the 90s. I'm not sure he would be uh, regarded the same way if he played today. Well, maybe that's why he uh, it's coming out and defending Vlad because he sees a lot of himself in Vladimir Guerrero. <laughs> <laughs> they already had to move the kid over to first base. He's only 22 years old, so uh, we all knew it was going to happen, but I think it happened a lot sooner than we all thought. Oh, man, uh, that, that, that Rockies team was so fun, by the way, in the 90s. Um, Andres Galarraga, one year, led the league in both batting average and strikeouts in the same year. <laughs> what? <laughs> that is so Coors Field. What, that was is that insane. 93? I think it was 93. So. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, yeah, I feel like you could just say that every seventy ninety three. It's like <laughs> every every Rockies team is awesome. Um, all right, Scott, we don't have a lot of time left, but I let's know, let's give out our final, your final uh, three inside of oh, your top twelve. Run through three. 10, no, 11, and twelve. They're, they're all very different, and all <laughs> we're talking about, but that's fine. Um, Max Muncy's number ten. If we stick to the twenty game eligibility requirement, he's going to start out as first base only. Uh, probably will be eligible at second base before too long. And look, great play discipline guy still. It, it's another case of the batting average was low, but I don't see I don't see a lot of reason to suggest he was a different play, really, and that it, if he got a full season, he, he wouldn't have turned things around. So I, I think Max Muncy's a good value here at 10. Miguel Sano at 11. Of course, his batting average was disaster. You halfway expect that. What you didn't expect is a 43.9% strikeout rate. It went from... <laughs> Horrible to just unimaginable. Mercy! <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> the power is certainly still there. And like, he wouldn't keep his job if he struck out 43.9% of the time over six months. So I, I, I'm not sure what to think of that. I'm not sure what to think of much, frankly, <laughs> that happened in 2020. <laughs> but stats like that, especially, stick out to me is just like, okay, whatever. <laughs> Um, and then number 12 is Eric Hosmer, who uh, in that too early mock draft you're doing, he went in like round four, right, Frank? I that was can... a 15 teamer. So, you know, maybe it would have been round five and a 12 teamer, but it was really early. Yeah. And, you know, we were excited about some of the changes Eric Hosmer was making early this season amid the stomach illness and he was on and off the IL and uh, just. I don't know how much that influenced it and how much was just, you know, taking a small sample size here, small sample size there. But September when he was back from everything, like the the ground ball rate normalized, basically. He went back to hitting the, gr- the ball on the ground a ton. I'm not sure a real transformation took place here, even if the overall line was better than we're used to seeing from Eric Cosmer. Um, I can't justify ranking him much lower than 12th, but I'm not, I'm certainly not going to be buying him if he goes in round four or five, six, seven or eight, frankly. Uh, yeah. So I, I think he is going to be one of the players that people are not really going to know what to do because uh, I sent you a draft that I found that's happening, right? It's like a really early NFBC draft with some high stakes players. So some really smart guys, Eric Hosmer went in the fourth round of that draft, a 15 team draft. Oh, the, the, the mock that I'm doing is also a 15-team mock draft. It's the ninth round. Eric Hosmer has not gone. So okay. yeah. I think that you're you're going to, like, I think people don't really know how to feel about Eric Hosmer, and that's kind of why you see that variance very early in drafts. Uh, Ariel, between Miguel Sano, Max Muncy, Eric Hosmer, who, if any, excite you the most rounding out this top 12? Max Muncy is the best player of the bunch. He has the most skills. He had an unlucky year. His skills are really the same. I'll go with him. Um, as far as Sano versus Hosmer, it's funny. I don't even need Hosmer to improve. Hosmer is a value every single year. Uh, in, if you're playing in a roto league, what he does good is he does the run production statistics. Runs and RBIs. He's almost a lock for 95 RBI and 75 runs a year. And just, when I do my when I do my drafts, I work backwards and I say, okay, what pieces am I going to get in the end? And Eric Hosmer is always somebody who, after pick 125, is going to produce a ton of run production statistics. I can go and tackle some of the other things after because I know I can bank on Hosmer later. I have I own Hosmer almost every year on so many teams. I had him on my championship Tat Wars team. For, you know, and that obviously he had a good year this year. <laughs> um, so Hosmer is great in terms of a fantasy pick. Don't pick him in the fourth and fifth round, but if he's available like he is always, and he probably will be again uh, as we get closer to next year's March, Hosmer is the better fantasy play of the lot. 
All right, so that is the top 12, and I'll run through them again. And you can find these all on the site. I believe, Scott, you published an article with your top 20, so it's not just your top 12. So you can find yes. that. Yes, and that, you know, we only have time for the top 12 here, but if you see the eight that follow, you'll understand why Hosmer has to be in my top 12, especially. You'll, you'll notice I didn't mention Reese Hoskins. He's coming off uh, a repair to his UCL. That isn't Tommy John, so in theory, he's going to be ready for the start of the season, but there's not much of a, a track record for that procedure, so it's hard to know what to make of him. Uh, you know, Josh Bell checks in as high as 15th, um, but then you have guys like Jamer Candelario, Brandon Belt, uh, Jesus Aguilar. So, like, it, it runs up pretty quickly, and, you know, maybe in a scenario... Uh, where there's looser eligibility requirements coming off the short season, that that landscape uh, looks a little different. But I don't think I don't think anybody's going to go into 2021 thinking first base is a deep position. Um, can I add one one name very quickly? Yes, sure. Renato Nunez. Um, if you look at his profile in terms of hard hit contact, medium hit contact, fly ball rate, and all that, he is essentially Chris Davis with the K from a couple of years ago. We're talking. 40 home run power ability, not a great average, 250 batting average, but 40 home run power. Nobody's thinking about Renato Nunez. He bats fourth pretty much always on the Orioles in a great ballpark. Um, he's going to hit his really fair share of homers like he's been doing the last two years. I think he's a surprise pick for your corner slot. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I know a lot of the argument against Machado this year Scott was that he hits a lot of fly balls and he's not in Camden anymore. So hitting fly balls in Camden Yards is a recipe for success. And that's something that Renato Nunez has done a lot of so far in his early career. So I'll just read you back the top 12 of Scott's early first base ranks. It is Freddie Freeman slash Cody Bellinger would be second if he has uh, first base eligibility. Then it's Jose Abreu, Luke Voigt, Pete Alonso. Matt Olson, Paul Goldschmidt, Anthony Rizzo, Dominic Smith, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Max Muncie, Miguel Sano, and Eric Hosmer. Interesting position, first base. It's going to be fun to talk about all offseason long. Ariel Cohen, thank you so much for joining us here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at ATCNY. Remind everyone where they can find all of your work, your podcast, your writing, right now. Sure. Thanks for having me on the show, uh, uh, Frank and Scott. Um, yeah, you can find me ATCNY on Twitter. I write for Fangraph, CBS Sports, and Roto Bowler. And you can listen to me on the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational Podcast, the Beat the Shift Editions. Check it out. All righty. For Scott White and Ariel Cohen, I am Frank Stample. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today on our YouTube channel. We'll be back on. We'll be back again on Tuesday. Bye bye. <laughs>